Good day, my lovely people, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Dose Podcast with me, Dr. Suhail Esa. Today, we're going to be discussing Ramaphosa's ruling during Ramadan. Firstly, I'd like to say Ramadan Mubarak or Ramadan Kareem, however you like uh, to be told. Uh, to all my Muslim brothers and sisters out there that are observing the holy month of Ramadan in which Muslims from sunrise to sunset refrain from eating, drinking, engaging in sexual relations with their halal partners, that's wives and husbands, spouses, uh, and engage in charitable acts, um, become more spiritual and pray a lot more which is starting uh, to be, uh, become a problem, obviously, during these uh, times under lockdown. So, firstly, the past few days have left all of us feeling a bit queasy. Whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim, everyone has an opinion on prayer and whether it should be allowed right now. Some say it's an essential service. Others feel, you know, that it can be done within the confines of one's own home. And there's a battle going on in the Muslim community between those who wish to keep the mosques open and those who wish to pray at home. Some feel that in opening mosques and praying in congregation, it's very difficult to avoid social interaction and thus will continue the spread of COVID-19. Now, the president said in his address last week that we're going to be lifting some of the restrictions and those restrictions that will be lifted do not include religious congregations. So uh, a few days ago, though, a a video has surfaced appearing to have been shot by a police officer um, of a congregation of Muslims gathering in a building to pray and subsequently being arrested. Hmm. I happen to be a Muslim and a doctor. And since everyone else has an opinion, I thought I might add mine to the mix. Now, what does the law say? So I've done a little bit of research, but I'm no expert. And we're going to have an expert in part two of this episode. In the Constitution, which governs democratic South Africa... All South Africans are allowed, I'm reading this out by the way, all South Africans are allowed to practice their religion freely in the manner in which they choose under the constitution. However, when the Disaster Management Act was implemented, these rights were temporarily taken away to protect the sanctity of human life. All religious gatherings in places of worship are banned under our current level of restriction. Now, the majority of Muslims, to the best of my knowledge, uh, agree that these laws should be obeyed. However, there is another faction of Muslims uh, led by uh, some members of the Muslim Lawyers Association. Uh, You may have seen advocates Zahir Umar, Mr. Bodia as well who took a, a, a case uh, to the High Court in Pretoria uh, to try and uh, challenge these um, in the court of law uh, as they felt it's their constitutional right to pray in congregation in their places of worship, specifically uh, for mosques to be reopened. Now, the ruling will 
has yet to be delivered. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, it will be delivered uh, next week uh, in this case. And, and there's been a whole lot of others that have been brought forward as well. Um, and the law that they're challenging is that the Disaster Management Act is, is not the same as a state of emergency, where in a state of emergency, the Constitution is, cannot be put under scrutiny. And the Disaster Management Act, you can still scrutinize um, in a democracy. Now, we do live in a democracy, and anyone who wants to challenge the state should feel free to do so. But what does Islam and Muslims say? Now, there are varying opinions on the matter. I am no Islamic scholar, and I'm not uh, claiming to be one. I'm just giving you my opinion on what I think uh, the reasonings uh, have been. And, and, and I'll tell you what, specifically from, from myself, what I feel uh, with relation to my faith. So firstly, one of the, one of the laws uh, in, in Islam, or one of the, uh, the, the, the rules that, that we follow is that um, uh, is the hadith. Right? Now, hadith are the stories or the actions uh, as relayed by the Sahaba, which were the disciples of the Prophet. They studied him, they studied his behavior, and they gathered uh, a, a whole lot of, 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 of uh, stories and um, quotes that the Prophet, prophet is as, uh, peace be upon him, is said to have mentioned throughout his life or actions that he is said to have performed. Now, one of the, the quotes that he is um, claimed to have said is that we should, as Muslims, follow the law of the land. So whatever the land in, in which you live under, the laws that govern those land are the laws that you as a Muslim should follow, whether it's um, under Muslim control or not. Now, that gets a bit tricky, and that's something I disagree with. You see, because in the 70s and 80s, there was a big debate in the Jamiatul Ulama, which is the main governing council body of Muslims in South Africa. It's the, those are the guys that control uh, us. They make uh, our laws for all the Muslims that live in South Africa. They advise us on what's right and what's wrong. And for the most part, they do a very good job of that. I'm not here to criticize them. They do a good job, and it's a difficult job. Now, something that they battled or gra grappled with in the 70s and 80s under apartheid is a lot of the members felt that because we live under apartheid, we should remain under apartheid because we should abide by the laws of the land. Now, I disagree with that. I don't think that it's a hard and fast rule. I think if the laws of the land go against your Islamic values and principles, then you should challenge them. Always. Unequivocally, that is my opinion. There should never be a time where we feel so comfortable that, you know, um, we can't challenge our government in a democratic state. No, we should feel comfortable to do so. And that's why I am happy that people are voicing their democratic uh, right to protest against a law which they feel unjust, even in this situation. Now, that brings me to the, the, the next part. So, you know, 
currently now the the law has changed from allowing us to pray freely and i would just like to mention that south africa has one of the most progressive laws when it comes to practicing of religion in other countries where one faith denomination rules they generally don't allow other religions to practice as freely as we are practicing today take a country like iran uh, saudi arabia israel many countries limit the practice of other religions over the ruling government's religion and we for the most part even during apartheid even during the darkest times of apartheid muslims were still allowed to pray in congregation in mosques and even do the call to prayer call other muslims to prayer so we should consider ourselves very lucky now it comes to the uh, the, the second part about praying in congregation to the best of my knowledge and as i said i'm not an islamic scholar it is only compulsory on a muslim to pray it does not make mention uh, apart from the friday juma prayer which is the lunchtime one you know if you're not muslim it's the the one that muslims take off between 12 and 2 to go pray have lunch and then come back that prayer is compulsory to pray in congregation now under times of war under times of the plague or any disease that would strike the area the prophet peace be upon him has said that we are allowed to pray in our homes and not go out to mosques to other places of worship uh, which might lead to the spread of more disease or the loss of life because islam islam's aim is to preserve the sanctity of life over all else in my opinion now medical scientists doctors and researchers throughout the world have yet to find a cure for covid-19 disease there is no cure but there are ways in which you can prevent the only way currently that you can prevent that is not as effective as a vaccine i'm not saying that's effective as a vaccine or any form of treatment uh, that may come is social distancing quarantining self isolation if you are ill or have have presented with symptoms those are the only ways currently by our scientific knowledge that we have to say you need to do this in order for you to prevent not only yourself from getting the disease but from spreading it to others now as a doctor if i were to tell you you need to take this medication and if you don't take this medication it could lead to the possibility there's a strong chance of this the possibility of this not only making you sick but others around you sick what would you say if you had diabetes and i said okay diabetes is not a good one because you can't spread diabetes but let's look at something like hiv in the 80s hiv you couldn't there was no treatment for hiv if you got hiv then that's a death sentence you die now of course we can go much uh, much more deeply into how hiv is spread versus covid and I, i can tell you now that covid is spread far more easily 
But under our current constitution in our government and throughout the world, if you can confirm in a case of law that somebody knowingly has the virus HIV and doesn't disclose it to their partner and then engages in intimate sexual relations with that person and infects that person, they can be liable for a criminal case. That's how serious that is. Because you knowingly go out and infect another person. And I'm not sure how the law is going to regulate itself around that, but I think that it is negligent for a human being to engage in an act knowingly with the potential that this may cause, and, and there's research, scientific research that can back this up, that you can cause the spread of this virus by engaging in this activity. And whilst with HIV, it may engaging in close physical intimate contact with coronavirus, the basic reproductive rate or R0, which us as medical doctors, scientists and epidemiologists use to define how infective a disease actually is, that basic reproductive rate or R0 basically tells us if one person gets the disease and they come into contact with a group of people, how many potentially could they infect? Now with Corona, it's about 2.3 to 3 people that you can infect. With HIV, it's much, much lower because you have to actually get very, very close to the person to spread it. But the advice given from, from us as medical professionals is not to engage in that activity. You know, for me personally, I would love to be able to pray in congregation. Ramadan is a time not only for us to engage in charitable acts and, and, and think about our, and reflect about our own lives, but it's also to share it with our community and our family and join in, in prayer and congregation, which is very, very difficult. And I would really love to. But if I, as a medical professional, know that I'm putting myself in danger every day and seeing patients with COVID-19 disease, or suspected COVID-19 disease. I'm involved in testing, treatment, and then I come home and there's a ruling that allows me to go to the mosque and pray because it's my right, you know? Should I then, you know, what I'm asking is, do you think it's fair? So, so only some of us will be allowed to pray in the mosques and others will have to take that sacrifice? I don't think that's fair. I don't think I should be allowed, if, if, if we're fighting for, for human rights, then, then surely all of us should have, be allowed to have that human right. So why should my right be taken away? Should I sacrifice my right to prayer in congregation because I'm treating people with it? And who's to say that I am more at risk of catching it than the layman in the street or the person at pick and pay who's serving groceries? And should that person not be allowed to pray because they're coming into contact with people? So is it only for a select few, of pe few people that this, that this case is being brought forward for? These are the questions I want to ask. Also, during the Easter weekend, we know that a lot of South Africans were not allowed to gather with their families, Christians, people from the ZCC denomination who make the biggest pilgrimage in South Africa to Maria in Limpopo every year. That was banned for them this year. And they accepted it. I'm not here to point fingers or to blame anyone for the incident that took place this week. However, prior to the 
this this incident and the arrest of these individuals um, it was noted that advocate Zahir Umar at the case in, in the high court in Pretoria he mentioned towards the end of his case and I'm paraphrasing but this is what he said in the video I can share with, with anyone who, who requests it he said that um, he put his case forward to the court but based on what he observed in the court he said that there was no social distancing between uh, members of the court, uh, be it the people that are sitting in the docks, uh, nor the, the judge in this congregation of about 25 people. Nobody was socially distancing themselves or wearing a mask. And so because of that reasoning, he feels that by the example set by the judge in this court, that it is now allowed for all Muslims to go out and pray. In fact, he instructed Muslims unequivocally to go out and pray in congregation, in their mosques, in their homes, gather together, because in this court, specifically in this court, he did not observe social distancing practice. Thus, the example set by this judge was, was evident that a congregation is allowed, and therefore he encouraged it. Not only did he encourage it, he also mentioned that if anybody is arrested for contravening this law, he will protect them in court free of charge. Thus far, I have not heard any um, news about him coming forward to protect the 17 and 24 congregants that were arrested over this weekend. Now, the video that was uh, uh, released on social media showed 24 congregants it has now been confirmed that those congregants are in Pumalanga. And those congregants, actually, they, they were praying in an enclosed space, uh, which looked like a house or a Jamaat Kana, which is a small, smaller, it's not really a mosque, but a smaller space where Muslims gather to pray. If you watch the video, and I'll discuss it, I'll break it down. Uh, firstly, the, the police enter the, the building. Uh, they have their shoes on, which is disrespectful to any Muslim place of worship as we remove their shoes now. Um, they then entered. They asked all the congregants. Uh, they shouted. They did shout, uh, raised their voice at the people and told everybody to lie down. It's noted in the video that one person actually sort of sat up and wasn't fully lying down. And he was responding, saying, you know, he's innocent and he wasn't really involved in this congregation. They made a lot of comments about, do you think Cyril is an idiot? Uh, do you think Cyril is stupid? Um, made a lot of uh, other uh, 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 comments. Told the, the gentleman who wasn't lying down to lie down again. Then I heard them cock a gun, which looked like a shotgun. But I'm not too sure. I think, you know, I, I've been to a couple of protests. That sounds like a, the cock of a... Of a, of, of a shotgun that can disperse a few rubber bullets. So I'm not sure, but um, they, that happened. And then finally, before the video ends, one of the police officers says, is Muhammad more important than the president? Obviously referring to our beloved prophet, peace be upon him, um, you know, insulting him. Now, a lot of people are upset about the conduct of the police. And I'm upset for certain reasons and some not so much. So 
Firstly, in South Africa, we have a disproportionate use of force. It's always been, whether if you've ever been to a protest, you'll know this. If you've ever been arrested or got into trouble with the law, you know our police officers are very, very violent, okay? Uh, in their defense, though, I think that the amount of criminals that they have to face every single day is also quite substantial. They've got quite a big burden uh, of, 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 of criminals and violent criminals in this country. So their demeanor and the way in which they act with people that contravene the law is in, in their nature very violent, okay? So I'll point out what I think is problematic and what I think can be disciplined and what not. Them entering the mosque not knowing that, you know, it, it's very difficult for somebody of another faith to know that they should have removed their shoes. I agree it's disrespectful, but... It would be very difficult for them to know. Yes, they should have, ideally, but they are doing their job. Uh, and when they arrived, whatever the law, in my opinion, whatever the law that was being broken in, in the place of worship, it warrants a police to come through and arrest them. Whether you are praying, and this may be controversial, but whether you are praying or dealing in drugs or doing something else, if it's in a place of worship, that's irrelevant. The police have to act upon their mandate issued by the government, which is to stop all gatherings of more, uh, any form of gathering now. It's not even restricted to a number. The only gathering that is currently allowed is funerals. So they enter, they then loudly shout and tell the people to all lie down, which is normal in practice of, uh, of, um, of arrest. Under Section 39 of the Criminal Procedures Act, an officer must enter uh, a place or, or approach a person who is a suspect, then tell them what, what they have done wrong. So the police officer does, does mention to them, look, this is what you have done wrong. You've contravened the COVID-19 Disaster Act. Then says you are under arrest. The disproportionate use of force comes in when the guy cocks the gun to a man's face who does not pose any sort, form of threat. That requires disciplinary action. The comment at the end where the man mentions that, you know, he asks a rhetorical question, is the president, is Muhammad more important than the president? Although it's upsetting to us as Muslims and it's disrespectful towards us, I don't think it would hold up in a court of law as hate speech. It's a rhetorical question. He, he'll be able to defend himself. It is disrespectful, I agree. And that's not no manner in which police officers should be. But I also think it's important for us as Muslims to take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what are we fighting for? There have been plenty, plenty cases circulating on social media of police brutality. And I, don't, I haven't seen anyone from uh, uh, the Muslim Lawyers Association or any other organization come forward to protect the rights of poor South Africans. Because those are the ones that are affected the most by police brutality. They're the ones that are being shouted at by the military, made to do push-ups in the streets, told they can't gather outside grocery stores to get their basic necessities. Those are the people that are suffering. And we as Muslims need to take a very good look at ourselves and reflect and introspect and say, what are we fighting for really? Are we only here to fight for ourselves? Are we not here to fight for the rights of others? Because yes, those police officers were disrespectful and rude, but this isn't the first time. 
And what makes me more angry and something that we need to address as a society is that the law is not just upon all of its citizens. It's not enforced equally. The poor in South Africa are forced to do push-ups and, and be humiliated by the military, whilst our minister, our minister who is part of the COVID-19 command uh, uh, board, is allowed to go and have lunch with her other minister friends, Mdutuzi Manana, allowed to go and have lunches with friends, contravening the laws of the lockdown. And all she had to do was come out and apologize. She was not made to lie down on the floor. She didn't have a gun cocked in her face. None of that. And she gets to walk free. So in closing, I have a few statements or a few questions that you maybe can answer yourself. Um, the questions I have is, do you think that the advocate Zahir Umar should be responsible for, this, for inciting a revolt against this law, because he did mention that people should go against the law which has been set, saying that he will protect these people from this law. Um, if I was a doctor and I prescribed a medication that harmed another uh, one of my patients, I would be held liable for prescribing that medication. An advocate who's in a court of law, who understands law, says to a group of people, go out and disobey this law. I've got you. I know that you are allowed to do this. He holds a position in society and he goes out and he says this. Is he not responsible for this? I think that there should be some accountability from his part. And then lastly, I have a solution for this issue. So in Islam, we have this... Um, practice called itikaf, which is um, a voluntary exclusion, or sorry, seclusion, where a person goes out to a mosque, secludes themselves for a period of time. It's generally the last 10 days of Ramadan. Secludes themselves from his family, from the outside world, from technology, just sits in prayer and observes prayer in the mosque. This is a suggestion that I'm posing towards Muslims and the Muslim council at large. If people would like to engage in prayer in the mosque, allow them to do so for the duration of Ramadan. They quarantine themselves together in this, in this space. They live on the mosque property. And they're allowed to freely um, practice prayer in congregation. And thereafter, they, congregate, they, 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 they can be quarantined for a few more days, tested. And if they all test negative, they can go back to their families. Safe. They're not spreading the disease. In that 30 days... They would have definitely developed symptoms. <clears throat> and if they're there for all the same period of time and quarantine together, I see no harm. That's just my opinion on, on the matter. And I'll hope to hear from you guys soon. This is part one of part two. I'm getting a lawyer, um, a senior member of the Muslim Lawyers Association to discuss with me. I'm not sure if he's available now, but we'll, we'll check. And uh, stay tuned for that interview. Uh, his name is uh, Mr. Yusha Tayyub. He's a senior member and founder of the Muslim Lawyers Association who will be discussing uh, what's going on uh, with the, these cases. So thank you guys for joining. I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. Uh, leave your comments, like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Take care. Peace, love. Assalamu alaikum.